Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. On our last two podcasts, I provided background information from Joseph Conrad's life to show you that Marlowe is really just a mask for Joseph Conrad. Now, while the novella is definitely not an autobiography, Conrad uses his own life experience as a seaman to create his most famous character, Marlowe. Now, for today's program, I want to begin our discussion of the carefully crafted novella, Heart of Darkness. Now, to help me do this, with me in the studio today is my best friend in literature, my wife, Deborah. Welcome back, Deborah. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, let's, uh, uh, you've been reading, I know I've been reading, uh, this is like, how many times this year since we already taught, I already taught this at the sophomore English, so, uh, so... Let me just have some of your overview thoughts, and let's just kind of stick with book one. For okay. Right now. Well, well I, first of all, when you th- I just was thinking about the name "Heart of Darkness" and the title, and I know it's. Um, I think it's interesting because we know we do know it's going to be about Africa, and um, years ago they would talk about dark, the, you know, going into the darkest Africa. And a lot of that's because of the jungle and because the jungle's mysterious and you, you can't, it's hard to get into the jungle. And so you think, okay, they're going, he's going into the darkness of Africa. And yet what we find out, you know, is a lot of it is the darkness is actually in, in the human heart and what people are, are doing to other people. So I think that's interesting is, is the way, the way he, he uses darkness and we'll talk about, you know, talk about light and dark later but right well he actually he actually begins to give us a little bit of a view of uh light and darkness pretty quickly i think i talked about it the last two programs where you weren't here Mm -hmm. so uh but anyway um i i do i do remember as a boy remember that they used to call um africa the dark continent yes and Mm -hmm. and i remember as a as a youngster not understanding Mm -hmm. what that meant like the Mm -hmm. dark continent and I guess in some ways I, I thought they did that because there was uh, the black races lived there. So I guess that's why I thought they called it the Dark Continent. So I guess I was, uh, what are they saying today in the in liberal left? I guess I'm a systemic racist. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be that that was part of it as well. I, I yeah. don't know. Anyway, yeah. I'm not a systemic racist, but, <laughs> but I could be accused of that. But anyway, uh, yeah, this this book really does kind of open up, uh, you know, a lot of those things. For me, I I think um, I, I look at Heart of Darkness a little bit differently. I think because um, one, you know, I'm a writer, and you know that all my life I've wanted to write novels like this, but uh, uh, we couldn't have lived a probably a very good life on uh, on a writer's salary unless you're like really really good like Conrad. But even those guys were poor anyway. But uh, the, the, the thing to me that, that I think is neat is the structure. 
the structure of the book and how he how he opens it up. And of course, I think we've talked about this before, but it's it's a framed story, and so there is an unknown narrator that begins the story, and this unknown narrator really paints us a, a beautiful picture. I mean, it, his writing is really very descriptive, and uh, uh, he he paints us this beautiful scene of the you know the the Nelly, which is a yacht, and uh, it's on the Thames. You know, the, the it's the Thames is they're there ready to go on a, a trip. They're waiting for the flood. They're waiting for the ocean to come in, and then he has these beautiful descriptions of you know of the land and the the sky and the sun, and uh, um, but uh, I think it's it's quite beautiful. I think it's quite captivating. But uh, uh, also, I believe there are there are some hidden keys. Let's say in the first, uh, maybe in the first half of the first book, that if you don't get them, you're not going to understand what the what the story is all about. And I do think it's interesting that that you you know you talked about the darkness in people's heart, and you talked about the darkness because of the the jungle. But but I think. When you really, when you look at this, and let's say if we compare it to our story, youth, and I'm, I'm going to show you, I'm going to talk about this as we go through this program today, but this is definitely, this story is definitely a sequel to youth, and it's meant to be a sequel to youth, but it's so radically different than youth. <laughs> I mean, uh, and you have a different Marlowe who's radically different than than the first Marlowe we see. So, uh, uh, but but anyway. Um, I, I, I do think it's it's uh, I, I just think Conrad was a genius in the way he went about doing things but he, he intended this book to be hard to read the story and he tended to be you know and I think I brought this up a little bit before as well but he intended to be as dense as as the uh, African wildness because he, he really wants us to think that's what he wants to do. He he wants us to think, and uh, we'll get into this, uh, you know, as we go along. So, any other comments before I move forward? Uh, well, just that I, that I agree with you. It is hard to read, and I think sometimes it's good if you can read it several times because because we're used to reading, looking for a story flow. And sometimes he doesn't actually give you all the details. It's like you have to kind of infer the details and put it together yourself because he wants you to think like you said yeah. so I think it's an, it's an interesting way of of writing right and he wants mm-hmm. you to analyze too but 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 there are like I said there's kind of like hidden keys that you, you that you have to you have to pick up on all right let me just uh, in, in the very first page this would be easy for us to find I want to read to you this this quote at the bottom uh, of my first page, and again, I have the the edition that I've been. Um, it's the Barnes and Noble Classics edition, and it's got the you know Youth, Heart of Darkness, and Secret Share in it, and there's also Amy Foster is in it. So, uh, but, but uh, after he talks about the Nelly, which I showed uh, last time, is it was an actual yacht, and the the four that are on this ship right now are. The, the four friends that were also on the 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 yacht in youth. I'm going to skip down to the to the bottom of the page, and here it says there between us there was as I have already said somewhere uh, 
the bond of the sea. Now, that phrase, as I have already said somewhere, is a definite reference back to youth. And so, so if you haven't read youth, you would, you would just go, what? Somewhere where? But if you've read youth first, then you know he's talking about youth. And they all had the bond of the sea. And these, these were, were living people. These were really Conrad's friends. And so, so he is using his own experience, but he's crafting a story. He said, he said, he goes on to say, besides holding our hearts together through long periods of separation, it had the effect of making us tolerant of each other's yarns or stories and even convictions. So, so notice he, he slips in that word conviction. So, so here it's, it's not just going to be a story, the, the story or what he's writing here in Heart of Darkness, it's, it's about people's convictions. It's about what people think. It's about how people moderate and how they operate in their lives. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's that's one key that you have to remember. You have to stay awake when you're reading this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you, you, you've, you've got to look for these things. He said, The lawyer, the best of old fellows, had because of his many years and many virtues the only cushion on deck and was lying on the only rug. The accountant had brought out a box of dominoes and was architecturally with the bones. I think everybody knows that dominoes and bones are the same thing. But then he goes on. Now, this is the other narrator. This is, the, this is I call him the unknown narrator. He says, Marlowe sat cross-legged right, right aft, leaning against the mizzenmast, he had, a, he had sunken cheeks, a yellow complexion, a straight back, an ascetic aspect, with his arms dropped, the palms of his hands outwards, resembled an idol. And so, so here we get our first big description of Marlowe. And so, so uh, here he has him compared to the Buddha. And uh, uh, that, I think, in itself is a, is a mystery that you have to kind of unlock it and what he's telling us there. And uh, uh, so so this is not the Marlowe of youth. <laughs> he's letting us know right away. He's now, he's been elevated to the Buddha. And, uh, you know, and, and I think there's one thing that, that you have to consider about this, this whole description. He tells us he's the Buddha, but obviously this buddha has an amazing amount of influence because he he's really kind of in control of the whole atmosphere of this trip notice he goes on to say it says the director uh satisfied uh, the director satisfied the anchor had good hold made his way aft and sat down amongst us he said we exchanged a few words lazily Afterwards, there was silence on board the yacht. For some reason or other, we did not begin that game of dominoes. We felt meditative and fit for nothing but placid staring. So what image does that bring up to you? Are you thinking in terms of, of Eastern meditation? Is that oh, what you you're betcha. thinking? <laughs> yes. Do you remember what was really popular when oh, we were in college? That's true. Yes. Yes. Right. There'd be yes. meditation groups. Mm -hmm. And so, so here... You know, they're supposed to be on this trip on a yacht. You know, it's kind of like a, a weekend for guys. And here's Marlowe. What does he do? He has control. And they're all, they can't speak. They're just like kind of staring and meditating, you know. So, so I, I, I do think that 
that is something you can miss. And so, so the point is, I think what he's telling us is you better be ready to think about what you're going to read. And so, so anyway, that's, that's my take on that. What do you think? I, I, well, that's, it's interesting. I hadn't looked at it that way before, but I can see what you're saying. I was just imagining the, the way sometimes in an evening when it's really, you know, the sun's setting and you can just sit around and just kind of enjoy the peace, you know, of the evening. So that's kind of what I was, the way I was thinking, but I see what you're saying. So it's, it's amazing. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole, whole thing about him looking like Buddha, I mean, it's, it's, it is, it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But then everybody else is kind of like it's affected. Kinda like, yeah, it's kind of like they're affected. They're just kind of letting their minds go. <clears throat> right. So, so the thing is, if you're going to read this story, and hopefully you're all going to read it, you better keep your mind. <laughs> keep keep <laughs> your attention. Anyway, I, I, I thought I, I thought that was uh, when I was you know, obviously helping to get ready for this program today. That just really, really uh, stuck out with me. Now, I'll just read a little bit more. It says, The day was ending in a serenity of still and exquisite brilliance. The water shone pacifically. The sky without a speck was benign immensity of unstained light. The very mist on the, uh, the, very mist on the Essex marshes, and that's a, uh, that was a county in southeast England, the Essex County, um, uh, marshes like a, like a gauzy and radiant fabric hung from the wooded, rises inland and draping the low shores in diaphanous folds only the gloom in to the west brooding over the upper reaches became more somber every minute as if it if as if angered by the approach of the sun and at last in its curved and imperceptible fall the sun sank low and from glowing white changed to a dull red without rays without heat as if to go about suddenly, stricken to death by the touch of that gloom brooding over a crowd of men. So, so essentially you have to understand that, that where they are geographically is they're east of London. And so the gloom that he's talking about, the gloom brooding, is over London. And so, so you have to know a little bit of geography there to, to really understand that. And so... So anyway, the, the, the thing is, I, I believe here is that, that maybe the next point you want to talk about is both of these narrators. It's, you have the narrator who's introducing us to Marlowe, and essentially they both give us history lessons, you know, in this, in this first book. And, you know, after reading kind of like this beautiful description your mind can kind of get foggy in thinking, well, why, why are we talking about history now for? And so, but the thing is, you have to have a little bit of background history if you're going to understand what, what is going to be said. And, and notice he says, uh, forthwith, and this is, again, this is the, the unknown narrator, who I believe is Conrad anyway. He says, forthwith a change came over the waters and the serenity became less brilliant but more profound. The old river in its broad reach rested unruffled at the decline of the day after ages of good service done to the race that peopled its banks, spread out in the tranquil, tranquil dignity of a waterway leading to the othermost ends of the earth. And so, so one of the things we have to see is that the story is about imperialism. It really is about empire. And here he's talking 
you know, he's talking essentially about the British Empire, and he's talking about, and, and they were a seafaring people. And, you know, they did conquer, and maybe I shouldn't say conquer, but they did want to spread uh, their ideas, you know, throughout the world. It says, um, he said, we looked at the vener venerable stream, not in the vivid flush of a short day that comes and departs forever, but in the august light of abiding memories. And so, so again, a lot of a lot of my students really have struggled with this book, and but the, but the thing is, you have to think about what memories is he talking about? Is he talking about the memories of the men, or is he talking about the memories of the nation? And the thing is, he's really going after the memories of the nation, and it says, indeed, nothing is easier for a man who has, as the phrase goes, followed the sea with reverence and affection than to evoke the great spirit of the past upon the lower reaches of the Thames. The tidal current runs to and fro in its unceasing service, crowded with memories of men and ships. It had borne to the rest of home and to the battles of the sea. It had known and served all the men of whom the nation is proud. And so, he's again, he's talking about England. From Sir Francis Drake to Sir John Franklin, knights all, titled and untitled, the great knights errant of the sea, it had borne all the ships whose names are like the jewels flashing in the light, night of time, from the golden hind, returning with her round flanks full of treasure to be visited by the Queen's Highness, and thus pass out of the gigantic tale to the rebus and the terror bound on other conquests, and that never returned. And so so uh, uh, he's talking about these, these great... Um, uh, uh, explorers, the Rebus and the Terror. I think that has to do with the with the Arctic, and they they never did, um, they they never did return. Now, um, uh, it, it said it had known ships and the men they had sailed from Deptford, from Greenwich, from from Erith, and uh, uh, the Erith is just a port on the Thames. The adventurers and the settlers, king's ships and the ships of men on change captains, admirals, the dark interlopers. The dark interlopers are the ships that are illegally, illegally uh, in, involved in trade. And the ships of men on change, those are just merchant ships. Captains, admirals, the dark interlopers of the eastern trade and the commission generals of East India fleets. Hunters for gold or pursuers of fame, they all had gone out on that stream. Um, bearing the sword and often the torch, messengers of might, Within the land, bearers of a spark from the sacred fire, what greatness had not floated on the ebb of that river into the mystery of an unknown earth? Now here's the here's the the crux or the 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 thrust of this whole paragraph. It says the dreams of men, the seed of commonwealths, the germs of empires. And so so that's that's the narrator's history lesson there. And so, so when you're reading this book, readers and listeners out there, you have to understand that it is it does have to do with empires, and it and uh, it has to do with uh, with several in particular, and uh, the the main story is about one in particular. But uh, um, notice he goes he's, he goes on to say it says, the sunset, the dust fell on the stream, and lights began to appear along the shore. So so this is the first narrator, and notice that Marlowe doesn't speak now until the end of this, this paragraph. And notice what he says. And this, this could be really sound mysterious. He says, And this also, said Marlowe suddenly, 
has been one of the dark places of the earth. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's here's Marlowe. He's supposed to be the protagonist. You have to have a page and a half almost before, or two pages and a half before he even speaks. What is he talking about there? I'll just ask you that question. I know that it is like he's what? What is he talking about here? <laughs> yes, I know. This this has been one of the dark places of the earth. So that's it is really, it's really interesting. Um, it does seem like, and then he goes into his own like a history lesson, right? At so at this point, right? He yeah, does. yeah. Yes. So and um, so so that's where he's talking about how how it. At one time, when the Romans came to the, this area, it was it was really uncivilized at that point, and so it was one of the dark places of the earth because the Romans came to um, to uh, as an imperialist or to conquer. Right. So so remember now the whole time Marlowe is meditating, he's thinking. So what is he thinking about? Obviously, he's thinking about empires and and the, the thing is I do believe this is my own thinking and we're going to have another panel by the way come on in a couple of weeks we're going to have our two fellows come on and uh, they're going to get a chance to give their thoughts on these same things so we get to get all the points in first you know so anyway but but I think Marlowe is also he's uh, it's almost as if Marlowe can read the thoughts of the narrator you know, it's it's almost like he he knows what he's thinking, and he said, "And this also," said Marlowe suddenly, "has been one of the dark places of the earth." So, so I'm thinking he's also talking about British imperialism here, and so so it's it's uh, you know, he he's saying, "Look, the gloom is over London." Right. Yes. He they are right there looking at London. Right. Or, yes. And it's right. gloomy. Right. And it's yes. dark. Mm-hmm. So it's one right. of the dark places. Right. Yes. And it's on even mm-hmm. though it's its own island, it's still a dark place. Yes. Is what he's saying there. So uh, uh, anyway, I, I thought that was, um, you know, really really quite interesting. But he is mysterious. I mean, Marlowe is purposely mysterious. And so, uh, uh, but then obviously a lot more gets revealed as you get into the story. Now here's here's what the narrator says after Marlowe suddenly speaks like one sentence. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the Buddha. You got to write that down. Mm-hmm. He just wrote this. He said he was the only man of us who still followed the sea. The worst that could be said of him was that he did not represent his class. He was a seaman, but he was a wanderer too. While most seamen lead, if one may so express it, a sedentary life, their minds are of the stay-at-home order, and their home is always with them, the ship, and so is their country, the sea. One ship is very much like another, and the sea is always the same. In the immutability of their surroundings, the foreign shores, the foreign faces, the changing immensity of life glide past, veiled, not by a sense of mystery, but by a slightly disdainful ignorance, for there is nothing mysterious to a seaman unless it be the sea itself, which is the mistress of his existence and an inscrutable as destiny. For the rest, after his hours of work, a casual stroll or a casual spree on the shore suffices to unfold for him the secret of a whole continent, and generally he finds the secret not worth knowing. And so so that is 
a paragraph or a few sentences you need to read over and over again. What's what's he getting at? But then he then he slips into kind of like a philosophy of the yarns of semen. He says the yarns of semen have a direct simplicity, the whole meaning of which lies within the shell of a cracked nut. And so, so what he's saying is for most semen, when they tell you a story, it's like, well, you can understand the truth of it by just, it's like a cracking a nut open. But listen to what he says. But Marlowe was not typical. If his propensity to spin yarns be accepted, and to him the meaning of an episode was not inside like a kernel, but outside enveloping the tail which brought it out only as a glow brings out a haze. In the likeness of one of these misty halos that sometimes are made visible by the spectral illumination of moonshine. <laughs> so what do you think that That's tells an you? amazing <laughs> That's an amazing <laughs> sentence there. You have to really figure that one out and right. think about it, yes. <laughs> right. And and basically that's another key to understanding this this story because it's not gonna be straightforward and just tell you point by point what he what the author means essentially you're going to have to unpack it yourself and so so that is the big the big challenge of this now don't be put off by that readers i mean it is worth the read i think this is an absolutely unbelievable novel or a novella i guess i should say now <clears throat> notice um uh again now now this the narrator now picks it, picks up uh, the whole point and says, His remark did, did not seem all at all surprising. It was just like Marlowe. It was accepted in silence. No one took the trouble to grunt even. <laughs> and presently he said very slow, Now comes the history lesson from Marlowe. This is what you were talking about. I was thinking of very old times when the Romans first came here. 1900 years ago, the other day, light came out of this river since, you say, nights. Yes, but it's like running a running blaze on a plain, like a flashing flash of lightning in the clouds. We live in the flicker. May it last as long as the old earth keeps rolling. But darkness was here yesterday. Imagine the feelings of a commander of a fine, what'd you call it, M? A, a Tyrem? That, that was the, the, the ship with all the oars from the Romans. It says... Um, Terry M. in the Mediterranean orders suddenly to the north, run overland across the Gauls in a hurry, put in charge of one of these craft, the legionnaires, a wonderful lot of handy men they must have been, too, used to build, apparently, on, apparently by the hundred in a month or two. So he's saying they could build these ships really quickly. If we may believe what we read, imagine him here, the very end of the world, a sea the color of lead, a sky the color of smoke, a kind of ship about as rigid as a concertina, and going up this river with stores or orders or what you like, sandbanks, marshes, forests, savages, precious little to eat, fit for civilized men, nothing but Thames water to drink, no Falarian wine here, and that's a, that was a very renowned wine in uh, in the uh, Italy area, in Italian, I guess, Italian countryside. He says, no, no Falarian wine here, no going ashore. Here and there, a military camp lost in the wilderness, like a needle in a bundle of hay, cold fog, tempest, disease, exile, death. So, so he is describing old England. And that, that uh, you know, here, uh, you know, the Romans, you know, did they want to colonize it? 
or did they want to conquer it? That's that's really where this history lesson is going. Uh, I'm I'm going to skip down uh, a couple of pages, um, not not a couple of pages, a couple of paragraphs, and I'm going to come to um, again. He he's talking about uh, what what you would be as a Roman uh, soldier. Uh, would you try and get a promotion to Ravenna? And uh, uh, anyway, uh, he's talking about, you know, what, what, what was their goal to do this? But then he goes on, he says, Mind, he began, lifting one arm from the elbow, the palm of the hand outwards, so that with his legs folded before him, he had the pose of a Buddha preaching in European clothes <laughs> with a lotus flower. <laughs> All right, so, so you and I talked, getting ready for this, about darkness and light. All right, so so you know a lotus flower is supposed to give light, and so mm-hmm. so here you have Marlowe talking, and now he's compared to Buddha preaching in European clothes, <laughs> but he's got a lotus flower. So so Marlowe is going to enlighten us, and that that's what we have to see that that uh, this is what this is about is you need to pay attention to Marlowe because he's going to enlighten us on a lot of things. But what he's going to enlighten us on most is the, I, I think, the flaws of colonialism and imperialism. He goes on to say, mine, none of us would feel exactly like this. What saves us is efficiency, the devotion to efficiency. But these chaps were not much, uh, not much account, really. They were, they were no colonists. Their administration was merely a squeeze. Nothing more, I suspect. They were conquerors. And for that, you only want brute force, nothing to boast of. When you have it, since your strength is just an accident arising from the weakness of others. They grabbed what they could get for the sake of what was to be got. It was just robbery with violence, aggravated murder on a great scale, and men going at it blind, as is very proper for those who tackle a darkness. Now, that's that's history by Marlowe, but he's getting us ready. He's getting us ready to hear the rest of the story, and he's going to be talking now about what imperialism or colonialism at the time, you know, of uh, of the continent when the continent was rising, what happened. And he's saying basically, you have to look at this. They weren't, you know, they were not to civilize. They were just out to conquer. He said, the conquest of the earth, which mostly means that taking it away from those who have a different complexion or slightly flatter noses than ourselves, it's not a pretty thing when you look into it too much. What redeems it is the idea only, an idea at the back of it, not a sentimental pretense, but an idea and an unselfish belief in the idea, something you can set up, bow down before, and offer a sacrifice to. Well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, we'll continue our discussion of book one of Joseph Conrad's novella, Heart of Darkness. You can buy Heart of Darkness at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. And you also may be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Or, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading.
been listening to just the best literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.